Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Good morning. I am. Uh, I'm excited to be with you guys. Uh, it's been it's been a long week. Anybody had a long week in here? Good. I'm glad. I'm glad less than half of y'all have had the long week that I that I've had. It's been it's been a long week. I could not possibly be more excited to have made it to Sunday. I could not possibly have been more excited to carry on a series that we started last week, which is called How It's Going. Church, look at your neighbor say, How It's Going. You've seen them on the internet, you've seen them all over uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. The memes that on the left side, it shows you how something started. And then on the right side, most times, it shows you the unexpected outcome of how something started. Who knew that long ago that this would turn out this way, right? And I believe that when we look at, when we look at uh, several of the most famous passages or stories that come from scripture will see a similar theme in that in that it started one way and we're told the story one way but the actual outcome of that story was so incredibly unexpected that you have no choice but to step back and be like man that had to be God that had to be God how it's going is a series on the stories we never expected to be living. Our time this morning will be rooted in the Gospel of Mark. That's the second book of the New Testament. We're going to be in the 10th chapter, indicated by the big number 10 in your Bibles. We're going to drop down to the 35th verse, indicated by the tiny number 35 in your Bible. Feel free to, to navigate your way there if you have your physical Bibles, if you have your electronic devices. You feel free to, to use those as well, but beware the temptations of the devil. And for the rest of us, we'll be up here on the screen. This is the Gospel of Mark. This is chapter 10. We're going to start our time in verse 35. Scripture says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, meaning Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. But y'all never been there though, right? Y'all never been in those moments, right? Where you're in a little situation or you got something on the brain and you're like, let me, let me rub this magic prayer lamp and, you know, ask God for something, right? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? How gracious. How gracious is our God? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, oh, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the other ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Indignant. 
They were feeling a little petty in their heart is what that means. And Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All of us have a story like this. I remember being a freshman at the University of Akron, going from my very small pond to a suddenly much, 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 much larger pond. And you want to make your mark. You want, you want, to, you want to make your mark on a community. You want to be a part of a community. You want to have friends. You want to, you want to gain clout. Let's be real. Like you want, you want to be known. I remember the first time I walked into the rec center at the University of Akron, all excited because for those of you who know me, you know how much I love, uh, I used to love to play basketball. Where I come from, there are plenty of people who are uh, much more horizontal than me, but there's not too many people who are that much more vertical than me. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I was fairly confident walking into the gym that this is where I could make my mark. It was then that I realized, wow, I am the smallest person in this gym. It was there that I realized this is, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) And wait, wait till I have my moment in this gym. You know the gym. The gym where there's so many people on the sides waiting that all of a sudden they actually act more as fans and spectators than they do as players, players waiting to be put in the game. Every move, every step, every basket. Oh, ah, you know the one. I finally got my opportunity to play. And I remember the first time I touched the ball, caught the ball, I looked down about three feet behind the three-point line. It's where I love to be. I catch the ball, I bend my knees, I look at the defender, who is much larger than me, and he's behind the three-point line, and as soon as I catch the ball, he doesn't even take a step towards me. If you play basketball, you know that's disrespectful. He's daring me to shoot that shot, but he doesn't know who I am. Naturally, I don't even think about it. I pull, right? It leaves my fingers faster than I could even count to three. In my head, he had a Monstars moment where he jumped 12 feet into the air and sent my shot way back to the other side. But in reality, I'll just keep it real with you, I don't know that his feet left the ground. That's not how I saw that going. I remember being a youth pastor. Deshaun was there. We had this brilliant idea that we were going to take our youth group for an all-nighter. Y'all remember this? It sounds fun. 
Some of y'all are like, no, it doesn't. Well, it did at the time because I remember being a teenager. I remember being a teenager going to the all-nighters. I remember going to the lock-ins. I remember the whole city being there. I remember the, the all-night basketball games. I remember, I remember how awesome that was. And I'm like, I want that for our crew. Like, I want to be, be youth pastor of the year when I take them to this awesome all-nighter. Can I tell you real quick about how awesome this all-nighter was? We had the whole thing planned out. We had... We had several hours where we were locked into the Maslin wreck. Basketball, pool, that was pretty much it. But in our minds, there was a lot more to do. <laughs> then we left there and we went to center ice and we were locked into center ice in the middle of the night. We had ice skating. All right. That's a whole nother story for another day. That's when I discovered ice skating is actually like not as simple as my four-year-old nephew made it look. We finished the night at Pump It Up. Y'all know Pump It Up? The place with all the inflatables inside? Why we thought the bouncing things were the best idea to end on a night where we're exhausted running on Mountain Dew and pizza? I'll, have, I'll never understand why we did that. In our heads, this was going to be awesome. By the time we got to pump it up, without exception, every single person in our crew had found an inflatable and had gone to sleep. <laughs> but there were other crews there that thought it would be fun to continue in that inflatable, which then caused our crew to take exception to that because this is clearly my mattress. Why would you think that this is a bouncy thing? This is obviously my mattress. And at 4 a.m., that was when we had to stop the fights. In my mind, it made sense at the time. In practicality, that was terrible. I'll give you one more. I remember taking my kids to Disney. In my mind, I was going to be father of the year. In my mind, that was going to be brilliant. In my mind, that was going to be this shining moment where when my kids are old and they're getting married and and we're talking about memories the night before their wedding, and they're like, remember when we went to Disney? Dad, that was amazing. That was what was in my head. Y'all know there were record-setting highs in Florida that day? Y'all ever been to Disney? Y'all know that their lines are like worse than Cedar Point? And they don't have a super efficient app where you can just see where the lowest lines are at, or at least they didn't at the time? You know that I was not properly equipped for the weather or for the miles that you walk at Disney. Yes, and then when we finally get into one of those shows, it was The Lion King because that was Sarah's favorite. We got into The Lion King and I was just super geeked to, to be in an air-conditioned room for like 20 minutes and just sit down yes. and just not be talked to. And wouldn't you know they sat us right in the front row? And you know how they do that thing where they pull people out of the audience and they make them do animal sounds and animal noises and they try to embarrass you? Wouldn't you know that I was the one that was picked? I wanted to die. I'm sure you have a story like that, something that in your head would be fun or exciting 
or life-giving. And it turned out to be a nightmare. Let's be real. Maybe that's the relationship that you're in right now. Maybe that's your marriage. Maybe at the start you were like, this could be fun. We have fun. We love each other. Now it's a nightmare. Maybe it's your job. You saw it as an opportunity to make a lot of money. Saw it as an opportunity to be productive, something that you could give an output to that would be lucrative in return. It turns out to suck more life from you than it does to enhance other areas. Can we keep it all the way real this morning? Is that okay? It's okay with 15 of you. Is it okay if we keep it all the way real this morning? Maybe that's your faith. Maybe that's your church. You came into it on an appealing invitation and you thought, this is going to be amazing. This is how I figure it all out. This is what will bring my life all together. And then you realize, wait a second, this is hard. Wait, 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 wait. I'm here and now I got to put in work? Wait, 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 wait. This isn't even about me? Here I thought, but what you had said, and because, you know, Jesus loves me, and I thought that, Our faith and our relationship with Jesus can be like that. Let's just be honest about it. It can be like that. You can come into it thinking, this is what gets my life back on track. This is what accomplishes the prosperity I've been desiring since I was a kid. This is what makes it all better. This is medicine. Can I tell you something? This stuff is hard. This stuff is really hard. The disciples in this passage, they're on their way to Jerusalem. It's significant for them because for them, Jerusalem represents a cultural capital. This is where we as our people, this is where, this is where we as the Israelites, this is where it's on display. In Jerusalem, there are big structures that pay homage to our heritage. There are there are priests and Levites of, of, of our ethnic heritage that, that are just preaching and on every street corner praying. It's like the center of our faith and of our family. It's where the temple's at. Y'all heard about the temple? The temple is where the legend is told that God literally dwells. And so as they march to Jerusalem, thinking about their families, thinking about their culture, thinking about all that they left behind in order to follow this mystic teacher they call Jesus, all the things, all the scrutiny that they suffered. Why would you follow somebody you don't even know? What school did this 
rabbi even come from? Why would you leave your family? You're not providing anymore. What is she going to do? What are your kids going to do? Oh, you're going to travel the land? Where will you sleep? What are you thinking? And as they approach Jerusalem, by this point, most of the disciples are convinced that they are walking with the Messiah. They are walking with the Savior that they've been waiting on. They are, wa they are walking with the hero of their story. And they know that as it's been told, when the Savior reaches Jerusalem, the Messiah's victory is solidified. And so in their mind, when they reach the walls of Jerusalem, their victory is solidified. All the stuff that they went through will pay off when we get to Jerusalem. I don't know how it's going to go, but when Jesus gets there, he might overthrow a ruler or two. And then he'll sit on that seat. And everybody else will see. Word will get back to my hometown that you know what? James and John weren't crazy. That dude did march up to Jerusalem and he did take over that seat. Look at them. Glory to James and John. They've got glory on the brain. Other translations call it greatness. They've got greatness on the brain. We do too, though, right? Yeah. Nah, not me. I'm humble. Bet. KT, <laughs> who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. You see how he didn't even hesitate? Hey, Batty, greatest quarterback of all time. Who is it? A, like a split second of hesitation, but he knew it. Yo, this is what we do. This is what we do. Turn on the TV. Every argument is, how does this affect their legacy? Are they the greatest of all time, right? You're like, Pastor, I don't even watch ESPN. What's wrong with you? All right, fine. Turn on some other network. Are there still other networks? I'm just playing. Turn on another network. Eight easy ways to be incredibly successful today. Today, it's only two hours left, but okay, I'm in. People still do this? I don't know. Greatness is on all of our minds. We're instantly ready to rattle off who is great? Who is the best? Who is it that, let's be real, we're chasing? Who is it that we're going after? We've got greatness on the brain. We've got glory on the brain. James and John have got glory on the brain, and so they go to Jesus. They go to Jesus and they say, hey, you know, just a little thing. Would you let us sit on the right and the left? They know that wherever Jesus sits is on a throne of authority. And they're like, you know, we don't need to be put, we're humble, we don't need to be put on the throne. We just need to be in those slightly smaller seats that are on your right and your left. Oh, the ones that are in front of everybody, right? You talking about the ones that are on display? You talking about, you talking about the ones that everybody's going to see? 
You're talking about the ones where, where everybody acknowledges that's the Messiah, but who are these two guys? You're talking about those seats, right? Oh, you got glory on the brain. I have to wonder if Jesus looked at them and asked them, like, is that, is that why you're here? Let me ask you something. What drives you? What motivates you? What is the thing that when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm after that today? Yeah. See, and we can, we can, the thing is, we can take things that are good and have bad ambitions about them. Look, we need money. It's how our society functions. But is money what drives you? Did you get into this startup business because you saw the marketing opportunity that it could be? Did you see a little niche that, that you could carve out for yourself and make yourself a lot of money? If you did, let me ask you, what happens when that doesn't pay off right away? What happens when, you, when the income that you thought you had or thought were going to have isn't quite where it was? supposed to be what happens when maybe that income is coming in like you expected it to be but it's killing you to go in there day in and day out is that what you're motivated by are you motivated by marriage I just I just want to be married at this point you know I'm years old and I thought by now but here's the thing what happens when you get into a relationship with somebody who doesn't quite live up to the godly standard that you know the Lord has for you if marriage is what motivates you can I tell you what you're gonna do you're gonna settle you're gonna overlook things that you know Jesus ain't overlooking. Yeah. And you're going to get 10, 20 years, hopefully, into your covenant with one another and realize, I messed up. Yeah. Uh -oh. Don't be so focused on the end goal that you miss the process. Don't be so focused on how this is going to turn out that you miss the way Christ is preparing you today. That's what's going on with James and John. Look, they're not wrong to have glory on the brain. It's guaranteed. Matter of fact, kudos to them for recognizing Jesus is who he says he is because a lot of people at that time didn't. But when all that's in your mind is how this will come out, you will miss the things he's teaching you today. You won't be able to appreciate or obtain or bask in later on because you missed it back here. Don't be so focused on how you know where you need to come out at that you miss all the things the Lord is trying to take you through so that you can be there yeah. later on. Yeah. 
I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. I'm sorry. I want to stay there, but I can't. So Jesus asks in return, you want to sit on my right and my left? Can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? Can you be baptized like I'm about to be baptized? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is not being literal. But how the disciples heard it was literal. They're like, yes, we can. Now, here's the hard thing about reading. Reading, text messages, books, whatever. We don't get the inflection. We don't get the inflection with which somebody said something right? That's why punctuation is important, but that's a rant for another day. We don't, we don't get to know how somebody said something. So we don't know how Jesus said this, right? So don't take what I'm about to say as gospel, but here's how I picture it. They say, we can, we're able, and Jesus, like only your mother can, turns it into an insult and says, oh, you're going to drink this cup. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh, you're going to be baptized. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Your mom ever do that to you? Oh, oh, dinner's ready. Oh, 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 your place at the table is right there, buddy. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that he said it like that, but I like to think that he did. He's like, yeah, you're going to drink this cup. Yeah, you're going to be baptized. But by cup, he's yeah. reaching back to metaphor that culturally should have been understood from the Old Testament. And he's saying, you're going to drink this cup of suffering. Yeah. Baptism, I ain't talking about no water. I'm talking about what baptism represents. Oh, you're going to be put to death. So when Jesus says, you want, you want to share what I have, you will share. But can I tell you what that's going to be? It's going to be suffering. It's going to be death. You want the glory? Let me tell you how you get it. You want to be lifted up? You got to die first. You want to be acknowledged for your faith? You got to suffer. He says, you will share in that. Let me give you one more for free. When Jesus was crucified, who was on his right? Who was on his left? Bare naked criminals, cri criminals being put to death for their crimes. That's what you want? You want to be punished? You want to suffer? You want to die an agonizing death for the life that you lived? Jesus is like, you're gonna. If, if, if you're about to be about this, that's what it's going to be like. Notice that Jesus doesn't deny that there's glory. There will be glory. Don't get defeated and look down at your feet just quite yet. Listen to me. There will be glory. But it comes with a life that we may not have expected. It may not be the glory we expected. It may come after some times 
we didn't expect. He says, you want to fully participate in what it means to follow me. This is what's coming your way. Let me ask you this. What is preventing you from full participation? What's the fear? All of us, all of us have this barrier, right? Maybe it's not in our relationship with Jesus, although it probably is. Maybe it's in our relationship with other people, or maybe it's, maybe it's uh, between us and some opportunities that are coming our way. But the point is, all of us at some point put up this barrier that stops us from engaging fully with what's on the other side of that barrier. The things that motivate us putting that barrier between us and whatever's on the other side of it is the things that we're afraid of losing, the things that we're trying to hide, and the things that we're trying to prove. What is contributing to the barrier that's between you and Jesus? What are you afraid to lose? What are you trying to hide? What do you feel like you have to prove? Let me be transparent for a moment. I live this. I still to this day feel this. The barriers that are in my faith between me and Jesus have been put there by my own fear. The fear of if I go out there and say that, Jesus, or if I go out there and I preach that, Jesus, if I let them keep these cameras up, and them videos keep going on YouTube. They keep cutting them cute little clips on Instagram and putting them up there. And all these people I don't even know start to see them. And all this kind of, if all that stuff starts to happen, Jesus, do you know the things that people will say about me? Do you know the ways that people will criticize me? And I can't control any of that? It's going to be people who don't even know me? It's going to be people, it's going to be people who who are so far off, who have never even met me, making fully informed opinions out of, on, out of context excerpts of my preaching? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. John, turn the camera off. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm being real. Another one for me is self-disqualification. I can't do that. You think it's going where now? You think that's what's next? Who's going to do that? You said me? I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I can't. I'm not equipped. I'm not able. I don't got that in my repertoire. I know the tools I got. That one's missing. I don't have that. For the disciples, I imagine they had something they felt like they had to prove. I'm going to show you that I was right all along. I heard the criticisms you had of my family. Uh It made it back to me. The words you said that you thought I'd never find out that you were saying, I heard what you said. And I'm going to show you that you're wrong. 
And Jesus is like, yo, you're missing it. You're so worried. And you're so busy putting up this barrier that you're missing what I'm trying to tell you. You're so focused on whatever this thing is that's killing your mind that you completely miss the fact that I told you you're going to suffer and die. Then you're going to act surprised in a few days when I get arrested like, oh, oh. Man, I told you. What do you mean you didn't know? But you're so focused on all this other stuff that you're missing the ways that Jesus is trying to prepare you right now. He's trying to prepare you for what's coming. I told you there's suffering and death on the way, but can I tell you some good news? He's trying to prepare you. You ever been through a situation and then the second time you face that same situation, you're not as worried about it because you're like, I've been there before. He already been brought me through it. He's trying to do that now. He's trying to take you through something now. So that way when it does happen to you, because it will happen to you, you look at it and you're like, hi, well, God's bigger. Let's go. He's trying. But there are these barriers that have got to come down. You gotta get rid of this fear of, of, of losing something, of losing your livelihood, of losing relationships, of losing credibility. You gotta get rid of them. You gotta get rid of whatever it is you're trying to hide. Can I tell you a secret? God already knows. You ain't hiding it from him, you're hiding it from me. You gotta get rid of Whatever it is you're trying to prove. Whatever it is. Because can I tell you something? You're never going to prove it. You're never going to prove it that way. That person who don't love you ain't going to love you. That person who said those things about you, they said them because they're toxic, not because they're true. Stop trying to prove yourself to Twitter by the articles that you share. I'm sick of it. You ain't going to prove it. We got to get over those things because Jesus is trying to prepare us. I got to tell you this last thing. I got to tell you this last thing. Jesus goes on, and it seems like a little strange, right? Got that for you. It seems a little strange and out of context. He says, you want to know what it means to be great? I'm going to put it to you in terms that you understand. Those Gentile leaders, meaning those leaders that aren't related to us, see the way that they lead, they lord authority over people. Y'all ever felt oppression before? That's a result of people lording their authority over you. That's how they rule. Can I tell you something about my glory? That's not how I'm going to rule. Can I tell you something about my disciples? That's not how they're going to rule. Can I tell you something about my church? That bet not be how y'all rule. He said, that's not for you. That's for them because they don't know me. But those who know me, this is how we rule. We become servants. He uses harsher language. We don't like this language either. He says, you become slaves. Now, I got to briefly, briefly, briefly talk to the dangers of casual reading. Uh We hear 
become slaves. We here become servants. And we, and we go to this place without critically thinking of toxic servant leadership. I'm not speaking against servant leadership, but I am speaking against a particular kind. The kind that says you have to be available to everybody at all times. The kind that says you got to do things you don't want to do or things that you're terrible at for the sake of the kingdom. Can I, can I help you out a little bit? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not telling you to go do things that you're terrible at. Guys, if Dante wouldn't even hire you to paint a wall in one of his res restoration projects, don't go to a foreign country to paint a wall for some kids. Hallelujah. Amen. That's not what he's asking you to do. Right? That's not what he's asking you to do. Let me tell you a lesson real quick that I learned the hard way recently. Jesus says, submit yourself to all people. Serve all people. Be a slave to all people. Can I tell you something? Without, without Christ's command, you're just a slave. Without the conviction of Jesus, you're just a slave. Without Jesus and the Spirit compelling you to do so, you're just agreeing to be a slave. I realized that I had picked up a whole lot of weight God didn't ask me to pick up. Can I tell you the result? I became a slave to y'all. I became a slave to the church. And I wasn't a servant of Christ anymore. I was just a slave to people. That's the tension. That's the danger. I'm not trying to preach against something. I'm trying to help us walk a really thin line. Now, let me tell you what Jesus is saying. What I believe he is saying is freely give your best. Yeah. Not like try hard, try your best. I mean like whatever is best about you, freely give that. Yeah. Freely offer that. Right. I believe that God designed all of us in a, in a particular way to be naturally good at something. I call it an unconscious competence. You call it whatever you want right? But it's the thing that you're just naturally good at. It's the thing that you don't even got to think about. It's the thing that when somebody says, can you teach me how to do that? You're kind of like, I actually don't know if I can teach you how to do that because I just kind of do it. You know what I'm saying? You have an unconscious competence. I believe that God designed each of us with some unconscious competence. I also believe he designed for those things to be life-giving when we do them to give us satisfaction and to be edifying to the body when we live into our unconscious competence. I believe how this should look is that as the body, we freely offer and we freely give our unconscious competence. Because can I tell you the natural spiritual byproduct of that? You're filled up. The person you helped is filled up and God is glorified. Look what God can do. God can take that kid and do that for that kid. Praise Jesus in the name of Jesus. That's how we get this thing done. 
That's how we get it done. How are you giving away your best? How are you giving away your best? Some of y'all need to hear that you have a best. Some of y'all have been so busy disqualifying yourself that you can't even take the thought that you have a best. But you have a best. Can I tell you why? Because God made you. So you have a best. You have an unconscious competence. What is it? And how are you giving it away? That's the multiplication of the kingdom. You give away your best. Yo, this is hard. This is incredibly difficult. And admittedly, this is not the glory many of us expected when we came to faith. Amen? Amen. This is not what I thought it meant. But God is so faithful in this process. And this process is preparing you for what you will face. This process is both preparing you for the eternal glory and bringing Christ immediate glory. It may not be the glory that you expected. It may not look the way you anticipated it looking. But when I think about the glory of God, when I think about the glory that we are coming into, it's the relief from our suffering. You suffer for a little while. He takes away the pain. I think about the freedom from the, the thoughts and the chains that have held me down in this life. I think about the healing from the sickness I've had in my body, my mind, and my heart. I think about, I think about the pouring out of all that is good and beautiful and not the hard, disgusting things I see when I check Twitter. I, I think about a place that's prepared for me perfectly. It fits me. It's mine. I think, about, I think about a family that no longer breaks the branches of our tree. I think, about, I think about a satisfaction that I can only get in small sips in this life. I think about a redemption of a lost story and some big mistakes that were made along the way. I think about being held, being lifted up, being brought to life as God described it in Genesis 1. Away from the things we're going through. When I think about the glory of where I'm going, I ain't getting there the way I thought I would get there. But I am grateful. I'm grateful for the faithfulness of my God. When I think about the faithfulness of my God, it's enough to keep me focused for one more day. Let's pray. Father God,
Thank you. Thank you for the ways that you're preparing us. Thank you for the hard things we got to face. Thank you for the hard conversations. Thank you for the hurt feelings. Thank you for the roadblocks, for the barriers. Thank you, because even though I know a lot of that stuff comes from a fallen, broken world, even though I know a lot of that stuff comes from an evil place, I know that you're so big that you're about to use it for your glory. I know that you're so creative, you're about to work it out somehow in my favor. And I thank you for choosing me to be a part of this journey. God, I pray that by, by your spirit, you will bring to the forefront the things that you intended us to hear. And I pray that you will strip away right now, in Jesus' name, all of the things that you did not have for us to pick up. We pray these things by the mighty name that makes it all possible, and that is Jesus Christ. All who believe say, bless up.